Banning books gives us silence when we need speech. It closes our ears when we need to listen. It makes us blind when we need sight. Stephen Chbowski, author of The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Two Pitches Reading Books. That was Kayla, and I'm Brandy. And oh my God, that quote was perfect for this episode. Oh my gosh. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I'm not going to lie. I forgot that I needed a quote. So like 30 <laughs> seconds ago, I Googled one. <laughs> Every single time I've had to do a quote, that's that's what's happened. Except for that first one, I really thought out like, I want to get a good female reader for this or whatever. But yeah. Man. How was your trip? It was good. You know, it ended up a little sad because we got bad news about Daisy on the way back. But <sighs> I guess we're getting used to her not being here. I mean, I've been a lazy bitch lately, but I'm grieving. So excuse yeah. me. Yeah, <laughs> excuse do- me while I do nothing but read and lay around. Everything is excusable when you're grieving. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I am disappointed in myself for waiting so long to read this book. Like I was procrastinating so hard because I was scared. You know, I don't like feeling feelings. And <laughs> man, when I finally started reading it two nights ago, I was so annoyed that Matt wanted to start watching the show we've been watching because like, I couldn't put it down. He got up to go to the bathroom and I'd pull the book out and read a page. (laughs) It's so good. And I didn't think that I would like a graphic novel like this. Right. I've told you I bought a graphic novel before, but I never read it because I'm like, there's only 15 words on the page, but I like it. I like looking at the pictures. This is fun. I mean, it's not fun. Like the content is not fun, but I would do another graphic novel after this is what I'm saying. (laughs) I would too. And I feel like it's kind of easier to read because like, this is going to sound like I'm really uneducated, but there's like not as many words, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, reading is way easier when you don't have to read. You know, when there's just <laughs> pictures, it makes reading way easier. No, You're but right I'm totally now. with you. <laughs> now that I say that out loud, people are like, gosh, it's so stupid. No, but this, I feel like this is such a good, uh, like, type of thing to read instead of a book for somebody who normally like watches tv but you want to get more into reading like this is a good middle ground because like you still have pictures so you don't have to like think about what color did they say their eyes were again I don't give a fuck anyways I'm gonna forget if you tell me don't tell me I'm gonna make up the characters in my head based upon their personality but anyways not important (laughs) this is a good bridge between between tv and reading I thought I don't think that makes you uneducated. I think that makes you a person who usually has pictures to go along with their text. You know, like a person who grew up with TV and memes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to do another. Um... How funny. His name is Art and he like did this whole graphic novel. Right. His parents really set him on a path, didn't they? they d- yeah, they did. <laughs> so should we start with like the prologue? Obviously, because I was shooketh by the prologue. <laughs> Okay, go for it. Obviously, I'm reading the way he wrote it in his dad's accent, and I can't do accent work, but I did my best. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that happens a lot in the book. I'm like, wait, did he misspell that? And I'm like, oh, no, he, that's his dad's accent. I've been really impressed this whole time because, like, I feel like I could hear the accent as I'm reading it. And I feel like that's really impressive that he's paid attention to his dad enough to pick that up. But obviously, it was intentional. He's an artist recreating his father in a two-dimensional form yeah so he dedicated this book to his mom r.i.p anya would you say it's anya or anna i'm gonna go anna so chapter one the, the sheik. sheik i think that's how you pronounce it uh, so. this if... chapter cracked me up <laughs> like... i liked it too <laughs> is mala his stepmother it sounds like mala is art's stepmother vladek's new wife and okay. he's he's really in love with her <laughs> The first page, they're introducing Mala, the new wife. At the very bottom of the first page, it says they didn't get along. (laughs) (laughs) They're arguing right now because Art goes over and Mala puts his coat on a wire hanger. And then his dad is like, are you kidding me? You put his coat on a wooden hanger or a wire hanger? He never comes over here. Give him a wooden hanger. And (laughs) that's such an old married couple thing to fight about. You want to know what's going to happen at my house? You can hang your own coat up or don't hang it. Not my problem. I'm not offering a hanger. They're in the closet. <laughs> Figure it out on yourself. Do you know what I just noticed on page 12 is his uh, concentration camp numbers on his written on his arm. Oh, I actually have a note here saying, look at his arm tattoo. See, this is why you need pictures, man. Because I wouldn't have even been thinking about his tattoo. And obviously, like, this is an over-dramatization of how big they were. But yeah, still, I 
I couldn't imagine getting a tattoo against my will. I can barely imagine doing it with my free will. Gosh, and they weren't even good tattoos. They were prison tats. And it's like scary. Your head just got shaved. A bunch of random people you don't know just saw you naked. And now you're getting a tattoo. Oh, God, that makes me sick. I was at that time young and really a nice, handsome boy. So he definitely was also super modest and didn't think too highly of himself. I love people always told me I look just like Rudolph Valentino. Oh, my no ears. This scene, LOL. He's like this old man pedaling on his bike. And then in the background is like his memory of the chic, like having some lady swoon over him. And swoon they did, apparently. Oh, yeah. Lucia Greenberg, apparently. That was his like first girlfriend Mm -hmm. in a way. He wanted her to just be friends with benefits. He was like, yeah, we were not that serious. We hooked up for three to four years. It made me think of another Jewish person. <laughs> Schmidt. Oh, Schmidt! <laughs> the youths! The street youths! Oh, God, I love Schmidt. <laughs> oh, man. Man, I should really be re- doing some more reading in Schmidt's voice. I'm really missing out on some good stuff here. You are. You are. So he's hooking up with Lucia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he goes back to his family's house every year because that's what you do and you don't take your side piece with you. And he ends up being introduced to Anna, a little creeper that he is. Eavesdrops on Anna's and his cousin's conversation that they're having in English because they don't know that he speaks English. And then once his cousin leaves, he's like, oh, by the way, I know English. (laughs) He says, you should be careful speaking English around a stranger. They could understand. Wink, wink. (laughs) Yes, that's what I heard. That's so funny. So funny to me. Well, he's teaching her to study, quote unquote. That's what they say. And he starts to date her. And apparently she's not. Yeah, not as pretty as his crazy side piece at home. I'm just like, what? That's how it goes, though, right? (laughs) Right. That's why they're side pieces, I guess. That's basically what he tells his son here. He's basically telling his son, like, brains over beauty, son. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, I guess that's right. Everybody was so impressed by her. He breaks it off with Lucia. He tells her that she's going to get engaged. And she's like... Look at what a beauty you picked. And he says, looks aren't everything, Lucia. It isn't good for either of us that you keep coming up here. So he breaks up with her and she becomes crazy. Yeah. So crazy. And then I highlighted this. Mom wasn't that attractive, huh? And the dad says, not so like Lucia, but if you talked a little to her, you started loving her more and more. He's talking about Anna, loving Anna more and more. It's crazy what will happen if you actually let a woman speak and get to know her a little bit. And suddenly she becomes a person. Yeah. (laughs) Man. No, this is really funny, though. He's right. Once you talk to somebody a little more, you do decide that they're human. And maybe you like them more. Ooh, I just got some fingerprints on my book. How nice. Ooh. I can't even use a pen properly. I just have ink all over my hands like a toddler. (laughs) But yeah, so he ends up going to meet Anna's family. They're freaking mega bajillionaires. And they're all super happy to see him. But first, before that, he meets her her director from school, and the director talks her up, calling her sensitive and intelligent, and he wants to take her back to his hometown, but her, her parents won't let her go to a bachelor pad, so that is why he meets her parents. Mm-hmm. And he brings flowers and his presents. And then he, like... <laughs> starts judging the shit out of her i just felt like lucia wasn't rich enough for a dowry that's part of the reason he didn't want to marry her and that's part of the reason he's attracted to anna because his her family is rich and then he's also like oh she's a good housekeeper oh she's on pills let me check with my pharmacist buddy about what these are like oh my god snooping he is snooping it's so funny he says he wrote down every pill what did she need it for and then I like how he said how they used to be called druggist, not pharmacist, a druggist. <laughs> because that's what they are. It's funny that we're acting like political correctness came about in the 2000s. No, no. It came around with capitalism. Yep. Yep. When you had to market everything. They ended up getting engaged by the end of 1936. And then Art's dad interrupts the story to be like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you a tad bit of hot goss that happened before we got engaged. Oh my gosh, this was so funny. He says that Lucia came into his apartment to beg him to stay with her, but he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be with you. And then turns out Lucia went psycho biatch and uh, wrote 
Anna a letter calling Vlad a not good guy. Yeah. (laughs) Vlad says at the bottom here, I saw now that I went too far with her. And I'm like, yeah, leading her on for three to four years. Yeah, maybe maybe a tad, a smidge too far. He went to his friend that introduced them together to have him calm her down and take her home. Yeah. Oh, man, what a time to be alive. Seriously. At least you know uh, it was still the same back then. Oh, yeah. So he ends up going out to see Anna because she won't talk to him on the phone, obviously because he's a pig. And honestly, I like this part of the story because he deserved that pettiness. Honestly, he deserved that. Yeah. Okay. He didn't deserve any of the other shit that happened, but this little nugget deserved. He's asking Anna about the letter and she like won't read it to him. She wants him to read it. And then she starts reading it. She says, you have a very bad reputation. He goes, let me guess. Lucia Greenberg. Your secret friend L is how she actually signed it. She says. And Lucia was right in this because she put in there that he was marrying Anna for her money, which is partly true. Uh, Yeah. I mean, at least he was attracted at first to the family because of the money. Yeah. And then she also told her that he had a lot of girlfriends. And I don't think that that was untrue either. He was saying he was a very handsome boy. All the ladies were always flinging themselves at him. Trying to go back to his apartment. But anyways, he talked her down. After much talking, he says, um, if it happened in one evening, I don't think it was much talking, though. I would need much more than one evening. But then they had some vodka and got engaged. And they were married on February 14th, so Valentine's Day. He moved into the, his father-in-law, so on his dad's house, two apartments that he had owned. And the dad gave Vladik part ownership of his business, Honestly, which is kind of what Vlad wanted. Yeah, being in this family works out for him and would have if the Germans weren't fucking bitches back in the freaking 30s, you know? He got a factory super easily by just being like, I want to be in textiles. And his father-in-law is like, you should have a factory. Let me just put that together too sweet for you. Do you think that they got married on February 14th because it's Valentine's Day over there? Do they have Valentine's Day over there? I don't think that they have Valentine's Day, but going into chapter three I think it is he talks about it being the Jewish New Year oh okay very nice so he's a little sentimental even though he used to be a player yes so he tells his son don't write this part in the book and his son is like this is really great material and I agree with him because this is this is my favorite part of the book (laughs) I I needed to know and the dad was like I can tell you other stories, but such private things I don't want you to mention. The son says, okay, okay, I promise. Uh, But we just read it all, so. Yeah, kept that promise. (laughs) So before we go to chapter two, what do you think about the courtship? It's funny to me. He wanted Anya and he got her, but like, I feel like it's still so 2000s because he did what I feel like any guy would do. He had a girlfriend or a side piece and then found someone he liked better and went after her. Right. And maybe it's not 2000s. Maybe this is the way it's always been. I feel like this is the way it's always been. Just like with Princess Di. Charles had Camilla on the side before he met Princess Diana and before they got engaged while they were engaged after they got married and all that. So just saying. Obviously, it didn't work out that way for Vlad. He ends up with Mala, who is definitely not freaking horse face Camilla, but... I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> That's just should. what they say. I just say think that. her personality is her horse-faced, okay? Are you really going to, like, sleep with a married man and then tell the wife, like, this could work out with both for both of us. You could sleep with them during the week and I'll sleep with them on the weekends. Like, that's... What? Anyway, that's not the story we're here talking about. Maybe <laughs> if they have, like, a Princess Diana biography, we can read that. They have multiple. I'll find some. Oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> so now we're on Chapter 2. It's called The Honeymoon, and it has a picture of the Nazi flag in the middle with mice that are portrayed as Jewish people in the picture. Yeah, I'm really glad that you stopped here because this was my first note in Chapter 2. I guess I had forgotten that concentration camps had already started in 1937. because they're... Did they really? Yeah, actually, I Googled it, and they started in 1933, and they ran until 1939. Wow. Yeah. I guess I didn't remember that it was such a long time or maybe like, I wouldn't be surprised if we weren't told, but whatever. Yeah. Well, I was talking to Orlando about this and there's something that we come across later in the book. It might be in this chapter, 
about the Holocaust and it was something that I didn't know. And I was like, I didn't know this. And he's like, you didn't know it. And I was like, no. And he's like, weren't you taught it in school? And I was like, yeah, we were taught it in school, but I don't think that like we went into a deep dive of the Holocaust. I feel like we were told the Holocaust was bad. There were concentration camps. Uh, uh, Hitler was trying to wipe out the Jewish Jewish population because he thought like the perfect race was blonde hair, blue eyes, but Hitler didn't even have blue eyes. And so it was just like some of this stuff I just didn't know. I feel like we talked about it a lot, but we didn't really talk about like dates and like how many people died or anything like that. They just showed us a lot of movies and then we were done with this war. Yeah. From what I remember, I just remember seeing a lot of clips of concentration camps. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Anyways, that picture on the front of chapter two is hard to look at. It made me sad. Yeah, there's another one in here that makes me sad too. 25 or 30 vitamins. That's crazy. Getting old seems not worth it. No. <laughs> and he says that he must fight to save himself. The doctor's only give him junk food. Yep. He's like, you should read one of my uh, vitamin magazines. Oh, man. He, of course, Art's like, no thanks. And starts asking about mom's old boyfriends before they got married. And his dad says they did, she didn't have any romantic boyfriends, but there was one tall boy from Warsaw, and he was a communist. And I wrote here, a tall, dirty commie. <laughs> was Hitler a commie? No, I don't think so. I think he was the opposite of a commie, but I brought my laptop just for this. This is not as easy of a Google search as I thought it was going to be, but I'm not giving up yet (laughs) because I'm curious. Okay. It just says that he was a member of the Nazi party. Is the Nazi party different from the communist party? I have no idea. I can't believe Nazi party was a party. I keep seeing a lot of the word socialist in this Well, that's awkward. But maybe I'm totally wrong on that. I don't know. Maybe because didn't he have close ties with Cuba? And Cuba is a socialist country, aren't they? Or are they a communist country? And like, what's the difference between communism and socialism? One way communism differs from socialism historically is that it calls for the transfer of power to the working class by revolutionary rather than gradual means. What does that mean, Investopedia? This place, Diffin.com, says that communism and socialism are often used interchangeably because apparently they have so many similarities. Interesting. Okay, under communism, most property and economic resources are owned and controlled by the state. Okay. And under socialism, all citizens share equally in economic resources allocated by a democratically elected government. So which one do the Nazis do? Who owns what in the Nazi party? Yeah, I feel like Nazis weren't really socialist. Yeah, so I guess I just don't really understand what the beliefs of the Nazi party were. But they were liberals. They were progressives for their time. So I guess maybe they would be called socialists nowadays. I guess. That's crazy. I mean, it all, it's all cyclical, isn't it? Because Democrats were the ones that were pro-slavery. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Republicans are overtly pro-slavery. Sometimes they don't know that they're pro-slavery. They're pro-cheap shit, which is pro-basically slavery, but what the fuck ever. That's too deep (laughs) for them to understand. They can't even tell the difference between CRT and SEL, so that's way too fucking deep for them. (laughs) They're pro-capitalism as long as the business doesn't come out against them. And that's awful, right? Like That's That's authoritarianism. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whatever. All these isms. I'm tired. Let's get back to the book. <laughs> okay. 27. Vladek is telling Art how his wife almost got into a lot of trouble because she kept seeing this communist and he was giving her papers that were in German to translate into English because she could translate English. And um, he told her that the police were coming to look for her, so she gave the documents to her seamstress, who ends up getting arrested for her. I just can't help but wonder at this point if the seamstress died because of this. Like, did she go to a concentration camp? Was she ever seen again? I'm really sad about this. She was let out of prison after three months because um, Lucia's dad bailed her out. Okay, I must have forgotten that. I must have just grazed right past that. But anyways, she... 
was translating these documents for him for the communists so I just go her like yeah. smart girls get in trouble sorry yeah sorry no. Vlad that you didn't know that your smart girl was going to do the right thing I would say that's radical for this day and age. She was doing the radical thing, basically, like speaking out against oppressors. Good for her. It cost about 15,000 zlotties, whatever that is, to get her out of jail. A zloty is like the banknote, like a dollar. Yes. And apparently their dollar is worth slightly less than ours, which is honestly shocking to me every time I find out somebody's money is worth less than ours. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the book. <laughs> less less anti-American rhetoric from me. <laughs> <laughs> then he tells Anya's dad that he wants to start a textile shop. And the dad's like, why not a factory? And his dad gives him money to open, or the father-in-law gives him money to open the factory. And then they get pregnant and have a kid. Okay, I'm finally seeing the scene where the seamstress only sat in prison for three more months. So they didn't have enough evidence. They finally let her go. Thank goodness. And Honestly, she didn't spill the beans. Like, what a fucking ride or die yeah. right there. But Vlad was going to divorce her over this. Yeah, and then she stopped. Their marriage is strange. They don't live together yet. Or maybe they live together. They do live together in the apartment from Anna's family. But now he lives in another, like, city, running his factory and only visiting her every weekend. And then when she gets pregnant, then they decide to live together. This one made me really sad because he was talking about his first son that they ended up losing during the war. And Anya kind of goes into postpartum depression. So when he's at work, he gets the call that she needs help. So he goes there and they go to a sanatorium. Yeah. I was terrified at this point that they were going to a sanatorium. I'm reading another book that's set in 1911 and you know, back in the day going to a sanatorium was basically like a life sentence for a woman. That's just where you went to get shut up. That's where Grover Cleveland sent his rape victim after she gave birth to his little bastard child. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, back in the day it was like you just go, everybody forgets about you, and that's what they just did with problem, quote-unquote, women. So I was really impressed they, like, actually knew what to do about postpartum depression at this clinic. Like, they fixed her. They made her better. I was, too. So this is where I was like, wow, I didn't know it was, like, that happened so soon. On their way to the sanatorium, they passed through a town, a small town, and it had a big Nazi flag, and it was in 1938, so before the war had even started. Mm Mm-hmm. But still, five years, they had had concentration camps going already. They're on a train with a bunch of other Jewish people, and they're talking about stories that they've heard or seen in little towns, because obviously this flag serves up some memories for everybody. And one person says he had a relative in Brandenburg, and the police came into his house and took him, and nobody ever heard from him again. They're talking about how people had to sell their businesses to Germans and then leave the country without taking the money for the sale. And this was also something else that I didn't know is like that happened before like the war that the mouse, oh, I don't even want to say this out loud. The mouse had a sign that said, I am a filthy blank on it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even know that that was happening before it got insane. Yeah. And I vaguely remember that all of the hatred started before. And obviously like it had to, because Hitler had to get the, support of the people and the way he had to do that was make an enemy Mm -hmm. and yeah it makes me really sad yeah this was a difficult like few scenes to read I just like could you imagine just deciding to beat somebody within an inch of their life in a street because they like have a different religion than you preferably I don't even want to know your religion that's that's my opinion but Yeah, I don't want to know your religion. I don't want you to ask me about religion. I don't want you to ask me about church. Like, what you do in your spare time is what you do. What I do is what I do. Yeah. I don't want to have to have that conversation. And I don't want someone to be like, well, why don't you believe in God? Or why don't you believe in religion? Or why don't you go to church? I don't want to have that conversation. Because it's going to become uncomfortable for you. Right. And imagine, like, the discomfort that we have having that conversation. Imagine if the alternative was getting beaten. Yeah. (laughs) That's fucking crazy. I... I wouldn't survive. I would stress myself right to death in this, this time. Personally. I would, I would too. And then at the end of 33, the last box, it says, let's hope those not gangsters get thrown out of power. And then art set or someone else says, just pray that they don't start a war. And I was wondering it here. And then I was kind of wondering it throughout like this next chapter and a half is like, 
when I have to pause every time they make a noise. <laughs> it's okay. When would you take your family out of town? Like if you saw that this was happening and you continuously saw this happening. And I think I thought this even more when Art was going back to Snow mm-hmm. I was like, why doesn't he just take his family and leave? Why does he have to stay in Poland? But maybe he does. I don't know. I don't know what happens after chapter three. Right. Or I mean- chapter four. Maybe they think everything's going to go back to more normal. They, like, got let out. I don't know. But I honestly, I don't even want to stay in the United States because I feel like if we get another Trump election, there's going to be some more crazy, hateful shit happening in the streets all the time. Like, so I feel like I would leave way before this. Yeah. But how easy is it to do that? Moving out of the country is incredibly hard, even now. And imagine back then when you didn't have the resources where you could just Google, like, freaking immigration attorney or whatever. Yeah. And you're living in a time where everybody hates you and nobody can work with you. Crazy. I I just can't even imagine people thinking that you deserve less because you're a certain type of person. That's that's crazy. But luckily, they get through all of these towns and they make it to the sanatorium. And it's really nice. People go to the sanatorium from all over with different sicknesses. uh, That there are shops there, a theater, really beautiful. So it's like a town that they live in and they get a letter they show their beautiful son and it just talks basically about how Anya gets her life back becomes happy again it reminds me of Disney it's like a little community they get to go out dancing every night they get some care packages and pictures from home so they get to see their boy so handsome like his father yes (laughs) and I'm really impressed with how Vlad's taking care of his wife I am too, and I like the joke that he told her. He was talking about the First World War, how they had to leave, and his dad had to ride a horse, but it's never ridden a horse before, and they drop their pillow, and he goes back and puts the pillow under his bloody tukus. I'm, this story, first of all, was hilarious, his bloody tukus, but like, (laughs) the dude who stopped to tell them that they dropped the pillow, but couldn't just pick the fucking pillow up for them. (laughs) why did he create all this trouble he should have just not told them that they dropped the pillow they could have gotten to their destination without the pillow and they would have even have known (laughs) right like man but i mean he gave us a good story didn't he his bloody took us he did he did he got a kiss for that story so good for him several kisses so they stayed for three months and then went back and he said anya was completely different she looked like a million I'm really glad. I, you know, was feeling the worst when they said sanatorium. I was like, oh, fuck. They're never going to see her again. But obviously she had to get out to birth Artie. But then as soon as they get back, they get the news that the factory's been robbed. The father-in-law's like, I just didn't want to bother you. It's no big deal. Right. And clearly it is a big deal because it's not just like it got robbed. It was like some anti-Semitic. The dad is like, you know, it wasn't like when they robbed us here last year. And I'm like, shit, he got robbed before he went into the concentration camp and he's still getting robbed all the way up until whatever year Art is writing this. This is crazy. This guy has had a crazy life. And they were able to build it back up because in a couple months they were living well off. Um, They lived in a two-bedroom apartment with Polish governess which I'm going to assume is like a nanny and they even had a maid. And so they were just living a good life. And then all of a sudden there was started riots and Vladek was telling his wife what happened. And they were, he said everyone was yelling Jews out, Jews out. And two people were killed while police just watched. Could you imagine not being able to go to work without the fear that the police might watch you get murdered? That's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy and it's sad. And then here Anna's like, well, maybe we should move away like some other has. And Vladek says, if things get really bad, we'll run back to so so Snowick. And then they go back to Artie and Vladek present day. Artie was like, why would Snowick be any safer than Belsko? And the dad said, we thought then that Hitler only wanted the parts from Poland like Belsko because those used to be parts from Germany before the First World War. And it just made me think of Ukraine and Russia. Same. That Russia is only attacking the eastern part of Ukraine now. But I feel like once Russia gets that eastern part, they're going to move further and further and further west. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't even think 
in either case, it's about taking Poland or taking Ukraine. I think it's just about making sure that Polish people and Ukrainians don't survive, unfortunately. They've tried to get the land multiple times. They couldn't get it. And now they're just fucking bitter. How are people allowed to kill thousands and millions of people? It's crazy to me. That's what I want to know. He says they're still very happy for over a year until 1939 when he gets a letter from the government saying he's being drafted into the Polish Reserves Army. He's telling his wife everything that's going on and he wants her to pack everything just in case she needs to sell it. And his wife's like, they're not important. He goes, no, you need you need it because when things get worse, you're going to need to sell it. And she ends up selling it when things got worse. Uh, so Anya and the boy and the maid end up going to Snow Snowick to be with his family while he goes into the war. But this isn't the first time that he's been drafted. Right. He actually, well, I don't think he got drafted the first time. I think he just went into the army. Or maybe you have to enter the army in this country when you're younger. That's what I think. But before we get to that, he talks about how he lost his left eye. Man, he's got some crazy stories, doesn't he? Yeah. He uh, had some hemorrhaging from glaucoma. You know, because he's an old dude and you get glaucoma when you're older. And he had to get a fake eye. And he says that one of the doctors came in and looked at his eye and said, wow, this eye is perfect. And he didn't want to embarrass the doctor <laughs> and tell him that it was a fake eye. <laughs> so he just didn't say anything. And he talks about like a doctor giving lectures on TV. And I was like, Dr. Oz. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably read it with his vitamin magazines. But shit, between this story about the doctor not being able to tell that's a fake eye and listening to the Dr. Death podcast, I may never believe in doctors again. (laughs) And now we're moving on to chapter three, Prisoner of War. And right from the jump, I'm saying here, it looks like getting drafted turns out very badly for him. Before I even got into this chapter, I was thinking... That seems really scary to go into the Polish army being Jewish because a very real possibility when you're in the military at war is that you're going to be taken by the other side. I wouldn't want to be somebody who is taken by somebody who hates me, you know? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But anyways, they're sending him. He's going. He is going. And then his father just complains about Mala. Yeah, I'm just like, (laughs) why does he hate Mala so much? Because she wants to get on his will. That's what I think. And I kind of feel bad for her because she's getting treated like trash and she just wants to love him. Yeah. So before he even complains about the chicken being dry, he's trying to make Art eat every last scrap of food that's on his plate. (laughs) He's such a dad. He is. And he's like, I want to tell you about Mala. And he's like, no, I don't want to hear it again. I don't want to hear it. So then they go back into the war. My first note about him... How do they expect them to do anything? Art is also shocked by them being trained only for a few days. And his dad explains that he used to be in the military. But getting him into the military wasn't that easy for the military because his dad really didn't want him to go. No, his dad um, starved him. And he said that his dad did this first to his brother, who was supposed to go into the Russian army at the time, and they took you for 25 years. So his dad pulled out uh, 14 teeth from his brother's mouth, because if you had 12, you weren't allowed to go, and made him um, be on a diet. So he was thickly thin, so that way when he got there, they couldn't take him. The doctor for the military was like, yeah, come back in a year, and we'll review your case again. And he told his dad he didn't want to... And arts, obviously, I don't like, I don't care about this extra tidbit. Let's talk about what we want to talk about, like an annoyed son would do. So then we immediately go back into the war. And this shit is crazy. I just want to talk about the fact that like last month, Vlad was hanging out at his textile shop with his wife. And now he's in a trench with a rifle with an officer saying, why is your gun cold? You need to start shooting. And Art or Vlad's like, I don't even see what there is to shoot. So he just starts shooting just out into the air (laughs) which is very very dangerous right i'm like in my head i'm like this order seems so scary what if he shoots one of his own people but then he starts seeing a moving tree and realizes it's it's a person so he shoots it and then the person holds its hand up to surrender and he's like i don't know if it's a trick so he just keeps shooting and i'm like shit this is what i imagine war really is like you don't you don't know shit about fuck you just know that you might die they're shooting back you're shooting there's bullets 
Oh, it's either it's either you or them. Yeah. And then he ends up getting caught. Yeah. They fight for two hours and the German side wins. They end up taking the gun and saying, it's hot. You were shooting at us. And it looks like they use the gun as a baton. I mean, they don't actually show him being beaten, but they show the officer holding it up like they're going to hit him. And then it says... I answered in German and his partner never stopped him from beating me. Ugh, I totally like did not realize that part. Also, it's kind of weird how his like boss was like, oh, your gun's cold. And now they're like, your gun's hot. So had Vlad not shot, would he be better off? I mean, maybe he would have been beaten with the rifle, but he was still going to the camp. So then he and his other soldier marched to this concentration camp yeah they basically, i don't know if that's what it is at that time but is that a term that we decided to call it i think they I were think calling so. them other things that were making it sound more politically correct back then you know because we oh, have to yeah. sell everything work camps or whatever <laughs> that sounds so much better um so yeah they make them carry the dead germans are you shocked I am a little shocked because, like, don't you want your own people to not fucking hate you? Like, the people who are dying for you, don't you want them to be like, this is an honorable death and not, like, a sad death on Ukraine soil and your parents are not going to be able to bury you? That's crazy. Like, he knows nothing about garnering support from his people, does he? I mean, I don't know shit about fuck personally. I'm not a president of a country, but... I mean, when you have people like Tucker Carlson being pro-Russia during the war and you have that on Russian-owned TV stations playing over and over and over again, you kind of have an ally in <sighs> you're showing people in Russia that you have an ally in the U.S. Thanks, Tucker Carlson. So he's probably not even letting people know that Russians are dying in the Ukraine. Right. Russian people don't, probably don't even know. They are really keeping their losses the numbers like under wraps and you're totally right the point about the state-run media that you're making all they're seeing is that and that is so fucking powerful like we saw the numbers of people in russia who support this war go up 20 percent since they cut off the freaking individual media people it's crazy mm -hmm. <sighs> that's probably very similar to what happened in germany you know people probably only saw one thing and i remember from like history classes when I was younger that newspapers and shit would get burned oh wow so they're prisoners of war now they're being told to do whatever they're being like told to do clean up the dead bodies and Vlad actually goes and finds the tree that he killed and reads his name and says he knew that he killed him and he said to himself at least I did something mm -hmm. war's weird right really weird they take him to the camp and they're telling the Jewish prisoners that it's all their fault, the war. And I just like, are you going to go into another country and start a war and blame them for the war? Because I imagine that's what's going on in Ukraine right now. I, I think that is what's going on in Ukraine right now where the prisoner of wars are back in Mao's. The guards wanted them all to empty out their pockets and mm -hmm. Vladik pulls out 300 Zlotties and the guy's like, why are you holding so much money? He talks about how his hands aren't quote unquote manly hands because they look delicate and they don't look like they've done anything in their life. So the Nazi is going to make sure they find some work for him and Vlad says, and they did. And that's just such a toxic masculinity thing to say your hands don't look like you work hard. So you're not manly. Ugh. So they, yeah, they take him to a stable with four or five other people and say they need a horse's stable and say they need to clean it out in an hour. And they say it's impossible to do it with an hour, in an hour. They get it done an hour and a half. And since it took so long, they lost their dinner. And I feel like that's probably the first of many lost dinners. I feel like that as well. Vlad interrupts his storytelling here to start yelling at Art for dropping cigarette ashes on the carpet. And I would just like to say out loud and for the record that this is the second part that I think is bannable in this book, the cigarette smoking. <laughs> and the first part is a picture in the first chapter of Art holding a box of cigarettes. Because, you know, they have to put warnings if they're cigarette smoking in movies now. Yeah. We shouldn't promote smoking. But other than that, nothing I've learned in the first three chapters of this book is worse than anything that I saw in the movies that I watched in my seventh grade class. 
no, it's not. And he, they are talking about the working conditions, how it's cold and miserable. And um, Vladik goes down to the river to bathe, even though it's really cold. But he's like, I'll be clean. I'll be clean. He's worried about being clean because other people are getting wounded and the wounds are getting pussy. And he says, in the pus, there's lice. Oh. And he also has a picture here of the barracks versus the tents for the Polish prisoners of war and the Jewish prisoners of war. And the Polish prisoners of war actually get two meals a day and they have heaters in their barracks. And the Jewish prisoners of war are still wearing their summer clothes. They're in tents. They don't have any heat. They have like basically a sheet to cover up with and they get a soup and crust of bread for their one meal a day. So God bathes every day and he does gymnastics and prays. And he writes Anya love letters so that he's hoping gets to her so she knows that he's okay. And he says that he has to write his letters only in German and very careful, meaning he probably can't talk about how they're barely being fed or how they're, like, living in these terrible conditions where people are literally getting lice-infected frostbite wounds. And then he gets a care package sent from his family And it had chocolate bars, cigarettes, and jam. And Vlad said since he never smoked, he had those to trade for food and that it was a sign that his family was safe. Mm -hmm. And then after six weeks, they got an announcement that they could leave. They needed workers somewhere else. And some of the prisoners are like, it's a trick. And Vlad's like, I'd rather go there than die here. And he goes. He, some of his friends ended up going with him because he ended up going. And they end up being able to sleep in real beds in a wooden house with soup and sheets and pillows. And I was really glad that they got to have at least a couple good nights of sleep. I was too, because then after that, they're given shovels and picks to do they're manual moving labor. Mountains. Yeah. yeah, they're literally leveling mountains by hand. Some people can't do it, and then they get hit. Yeah, here's another example of the Nazis using their rifles as batons. Like, I really want to know, did they do that? Because rifles are so heavy and made of metal. Yeah, I'm thinking that they probably did. Ugh. They tried to help the older people who couldn't work as hard, but some of them got sent back to the old camp to freeze and starve to death. He says it was still better to stay, even though he had to work who knows how many hours. He still got to eat and sleep in the warm bed, and he ends up having a dream. A crazy dream that yeah he tells them that he will come out of this place free on the day of Parsha's truma which seems like it's a saturday so he's saying Parsha. so every week on saturday they read sections from the torah which is called the Parsha, and then one week each year it's Parsha's truma which Mm -hmm. is like i'm assuming their new year so there's a rabbi there and he just asks him when is Parsha's truma and the guy's like well we're about three months from there and he's like three months all right and then he told him the dream and the rabbi says i hope that's true but he's afraid they may never leave i'm afraid that they'll never leave i'm convinced at this point that they're not getting out some shit really does go down on that day yeah gestapo prisoners come yeah well the gestapo and the workmacht come and he says we were not at ease and i noted here we were not at ease is like the chillest way ever to describe what somebody would probably feel when the germans who hate jewish people show up at your camp where you're interned doing labor i would be shitting my pants i would be too (laughs) vlad asked what day it is the rabbi says it's saturday it's parsha's truma and then they vlad gets sent home well They say that they're releasing everyone. They start getting information on everybody in the family. And I noted here, it's weird. I feel like they're just getting information from the, on the rest of the family to just go get them. The office of the president was telling people like, if Russian soldiers show up at your house to put you on a register, do not give them your information. So of course, right now they're like signing quote unquote release forms. And at this point in the story art is like, wow, your Parsha's Truma dream really came true. And his dad is like, actually I checked on the calendar and it was this one that I got married to Anna. And there was this one that you were born. And we even had like, it was this one for your bar mitzvah. 
So this is a really significant day for him. So at this point in the book, I'm like, oh shit, okay, maybe I'm just a negative Nancy and they really are letting him out. Ish. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, those people were not letting him out, but they end up getting on a train and they pass his hometown and he's like, oh fucking shit, why are we passing my hometown? And they go all the way up to the middle of Poland, which is way far away from where they originally were. And it's in a part of Poland that is controlled by the German government and 300 miles away from where he meant to go and where they told him that they were taking him and they end up taking him to some big tents and then finally the Jewish authorities show up and they're like we're keeping you here because there was a group of prisoners of war that were supposed to be released the same way you were and the Germans actually took them out to the forest and killed 600 of them and you guys were the next party Ugh. They were going to get all the information, say they released all these prisoners, and then go fucking shoot them. Art asks, like, well, I thought you were being released as a prisoner of war. And the dad says, yeah, so exactly. And he said, international laws protected us as little as Polish war prisoners, but a Jew of the reach anyone could kill in the streets. So it didn't matter. And he actually almost got killed. Because he's at the tent waiting for the Jewish authorities to uh, figure out stuff. They had to go try to bribe the Germans to let these people go home. And he goes outside to go to the bathroom and they start shooting at him. And so he goes back in and decides to urinate on the tent inside. My only note on this page is, did he finish peeing inside that tent? Is that bottom right comic on page 62? Him peeing. That's (laughs) what I thought. That's what I thought. Oh, man. I would do the same shit. So in order to get released from this little camp situation, the Jewish authorities had to basically say that these refugees, which is what they are now, were related to somebody in the area and that those people could, like, bring them in. He ends up finding Orbach, his old friend from his uncle, and he gives his, like friend's daughter some chocolate that he actually saved from his care package way back when that's so sweet i can't believe he didn't eat that chocolate when he realized they weren't going to feed him i know that's what i thought they're complaining here that in lubin jewish people get very few food coupons and i just i don't understand what food coupons are i think it's probably like food stamps in a way like instead of like it being a card for you like you get, like, it's money to buy food and only food. The food must have been rationed at this time. And, like, families must have only been allowed to get a certain amount. You know, just like during the pandemic when you could only buy one pack of hamburger. Mm-hmm. It seems like they were even starving Jewish people outside of the concentration camps. And he ends up staying there for a few days, but he can't stop thinking about how he's going to sneak across the border and go see his family. And he just grows the biggest balls ever and goes to the train station, pretends to be Polish, starts talking shit about the Germans to the Polish train, like not the conductor, but the guy that takes tickets. And the guy sneaks him on there and he gets home. Yep. But it's uh, not without saying that he was talking to Art again and talking about how Germans were keeping packages. Yeah. We're starting to keep packages. He's also talking about how when he gets back, he just gets bad news after bad news after bad news. Like, his mom has cancer. His dad got assaulted in the street and got his beard cut off after they made them sing prayers so they could beat them. And then he lost his seltzer factory. And they have a 7 p.m. curfew. One thing that I thought was pretty interesting with the comics of it is, so in here... Jewish people are represented as mice Mm -hmm. and Polish people are represented as pigs and Russians are represented as cats. Well, as when Vladek was pretending not to be Jewish, he he had a pig mask on. Mm -hmm. Yes, he was pretending to be Polish. It's interesting. Why do you think he did pigs for Polish people? I was just thinking Polish starts with P and so does pigs. Oh, dogs are Americans, apparently, according to my Google search. Oh. They've got frogs for French, reindeer for Swedes, beads for gypsies. Gypsies. Interesting. Interesting, interesting. interesting. I'm really surprised that he didn't make the Nazis, like, snakes, because they also eat mice, but they're more known for snaky behavior. Yeah, I'm surprised. Anyway, after he stops at his parents' house, he finally goes to see Anna, and I'm like, happy at this point that he's in a good enough mood that he decides to trick her and have his mom go in and say that he she just got a letter 
from him and that he was going to be home in a week. And of course his wife is like, don't joke. If he was coming home, he would have written to us too. And then he bursts in the door and surprises her. And she's so happy. And his big crazy baby is there screaming about his cold buttons. Very cute little homecoming. It is. It's a really cute homecoming. And then we go back to present time and Vladik is like, okay, I'm done talking about it right now. And he goes back to talking about Mala and how she makes him crazy. And Art is like, okay, well, I'm going to get my jacket and go because this isn't something I want to talk about. Vlad is like, she's only wanting me for my money. Art goes to get his jacket and the dad threw it out because he didn't think it was nice enough. And he wanted Art to take his old jacket. I just love the scenes with Art trying on the new jacket because it's like an old an old 1980s windbreaker and his dad says I have for you a warmer jacket I can give you my old jacket it's still like new it's so funny and the guy's like it's too big and he's like you look like a million dollars with it on yeah he says after you wear wear it a little while you'll see how good it looks the last thing is I just can't believe it everything got thrown away yeah his his dad threw his coat away so that he had no choice but to wear the coat that he wanted to give him like as he complains about his meddling wife okay metal much Vlad metal much (laughs) (laughs) such a dad move and like the whole scene is such a dad move he's like okay I'm done talking you need to leave now (laughs) (laughs) he's like I'm ready to go to bed that's so funny do you think Vlad's free forever or do you think he goes back to the concentration camp I think he goes back to the concentration camp I think his whole family goes back now that they have everybody's information and their address and everything yes I genuinely think that that whole ruse getting everybody and saying that they were being released was just so that they could go round up their families too that's what I think too um, it'll be interesting, though, to see in the book if, like, they try and Anne Frank it and hide it and hide out in someone's house for the time being until they can leave. Like, it'll be interesting to see the chain of events that unfold. Yeah, I'm highly nervous, but excited to see what happens next. It's been a good story. Like I said, I had a hard time putting it down. Yeah. What do you think so far? Bannable? Not bannable. It got banned at an eighth grade level, and I Googled, and they said they suggest fifth grade is where you should start teaching the Holocaust. I don't think it should be banned. Like, yeah, they're smoking, but, like, if we're going to put warning on TVs, I don't think we should ban a book. I think maybe we should warn that there's smoking in the book because it's not like you're watching the guy inhale it and you're not getting that animation of it. You're just seeing the animation of the cigarette and the smoke right? or cigar because it could be a cigar. They didn't even call out the smoking. I'm calling out the smoking. It got banned because they said there's too much cursing in it. I guess we'll see in the next three chapters if some real crazy shit is illustrated. But I don't know. It seems like he's presenting this story in a way that I feel is saving us from the worst of it so far. That's what I think, too. It's humanizing Vladik and, like, kind of showing the mind of, like, this is why Jewish people didn't think it was the Holocaust was as bad as it was until it got as bad as it was. They were manipulated the whole time. And even if they thought it was as bad as it was, everyone hated them. What, they, what were they supposed to do? Yeah. And honestly, I think if we're banning things so that people don't feel bad about some bad stuff that happened, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, I feel like we need to know the bad stuff. Because how do we feel bad for people going through bad stuff if we don't know that other people can go through bad stuff? And how do you prevent it from happening again if you don't teach it? Because it's literally happening right now and it hasn't even been 100 years yet. Yeah. Insane. Well, we've got three more chapters to read. We're going to finish it. Yes. So we'll be back in two weeks. (laughs) 